Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. I am excited to bring you today's episode. It's a topic that is close to my heart as a parent, a coach, and, well, just as a person. I'll be talking about self-advocacy for kids and adolescents with Dr. Narissa Bauer, who is a behavioral pediatrician from Indiana. I met her through my colleague, Wendy Craven, and Narissa and I got to meet in person at the ADHD conference in 2023, which was just so much fun. Today, we're going to explore the importance of emotional literacy, which empowers kids to recognize and express their feelings effectively. It's hard to ask for what you need if you're not sure what you're feeling or when you're not sure how to accurately describe those feelings. We'll also discuss how kids, especially those facing learning challenges or other diagnoses, can learn to advocate for themselves. You'll hear Dr. Bauer share invaluable insights and actionable tips for parents and caregivers of all ages, from little ones all the way up to high school seniors. You'll also hear me share that self-advocacy is a strong parenting value of mine. And what I didn't share was the internal struggle that comes along with that. The constant push-pull of wanting desperately to protect my kids while simultaneously wanting to help them learn these critical life skills so they can not only survive but thrive when they're out on their own. Trusting our children and ourselves as parents, especially when it means letting go, is a daily challenge that I'm sure many caregivers that are listening can relate to. All right, enough about me. Let's get on with the show. All right. So, Narissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Would you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be here with you, Hannah. Uh, I'm Dr. Narissa Bauer. I'm a behavioral pediatrician. I'm calling in from Carmel, Indiana. Uh, I am the founder and creator of Let's Talk Kids Health, as well as Teach Me ADHD. Uh, I am in the business of helping support families and kids and teens along their journey uh, after diagnosis and along the way, um, because I believe that all families should be equipped with a toolbox of skills and um, communication strategies that help them learn together, grow together, and collaborate together. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And self-advocacy for kids, it's something that I am really a big proponent of with uh, my own kids. They're probably uh, tired of it. Um, But I I had such a win the other day on Friday. My daughter is 15 and I took her to her um, physical, her physical at the pediatrician. And I said, so what do you think? Um, Do you want me to come in? And she was like, no, can you just stay in the car? And I said, yeah, sure. I I will absolutely stay in the car. Let's make sure you have a list of any questions you want to ask. And then um, I said, I do have to um, give them the new insurance card. She's like, that's fine. I'll just take it in. (laughs) And what do I just say? Just give me a script of what to say. And I was like, yes, (laughs) all of this practice, you know, in, in, in like helping my kids uh, be, you know, find that independence and confidence. And here she is like, nope, I, I got it, mom. You can stay in the car. So yeah, that's remarkable. And congratulations. Thanks. It must feel really good as a parent to have your 15 year old be like, yeah, I got it. It's yeah. okay. 
Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Of course, it took a lot of trust uh, mm -hmm. that she was going to, you know, make sure that she advocated for herself and asked the questions that she had. And and she did. She came out and she um, followed up with me and she didn't follow up with me right away. I did have to wait uh, till later that day for her to bring it up. Um, again, I didn't want to be too nosy, but uh, yeah, so... Anyway, so it's kind of this, this conversation is uh, close to home for me because I believe in it so strongly. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us today. I love talking about this. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So um, how did you, um, or maybe you can just answer like, why am I asking you about self-advocacy? You know, like what, what do you do and how, what are your um, kind of your beliefs about that with kids? Yeah. Well, I, I want to just say, I, I kind of am in a unique position. You know, I'm a behavioral pediatrician. And when people ask like, what does that mean? I tell them, well, I'm a pediatrician by training, but I specialized and did extra training in just development and behavior. And so I love seeing kids who have learning differences, anxiety, depression, parenting issues, the kids who think and learn differently even while I was trained in rashes and acne and all those other things, like I do not do that anymore. Like this is kind of my wheelhouse. And because of that, I acknowledge fully, uh, apart from my general pediatrician colleagues, is I have the ability to sit with families for up to 90 minutes when I meet them for the first time. Wow. And then follow-ups are 30 and 60 minutes. Mm. I know my colleagues in primary care, they do a lot of this work too. And oftentimes it's compressed in like 10 to 30 minute visits yeah. and it's a lot to cover. So first of all, I want to just say um, I have carved out a niche and have the time and space to talk with families, talk with kids. I tell them when I first meet them that even though I'm a doctor, I'm actually more like a detective. Mm. My job is to sort of listen to the stories, to the facts, not jump to conclusions, and to really look for clues as to what's been going on. So I always invite the kids. I always tell them first off that, you know, whatever they can tell me today when we're meeting for the first time, if they can be brave enough to share what they're thinking and feeling, it will help me tremendously. And even though their parents are with them and they know them very well, they could probably guess at what they're going to say and probably answer their questions for them. Only truly the kids themselves are the ones who know what they're thinking and feeling inside. And so I sort of, you know, say that up front. I have fidgets in my office. I tell them, you know, you can stand up, move around. It's okay. You don't even have to look at me when you're first talking to me. You know, I want you to feel as comfortable as possible. And I always put them in control. You know, I ask them, do you want me to start with you? Or do you want me to start asking questions of your parents first? You know, I think part of beginning self-advocacy skills for kids is to acknowledge that they're not just little human, like mm. little adults, they have their own thoughts and feelings, even the three-year-olds, even the two-year-olds, you can talk with them and acknowledge who they are as a person and be, be keenly interested in what they have to say, you I know? That. So I think that's the first step always is to just say, I'm here to listen to you and acknowledge your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And it really shows the child a lot of respect uh, mm -hmm. and that, that they, and, and value, you see that their value and what they have to contribute. Yes. Yes. And in doing so, I think it's important to listen carefully to what they're saying and what they're not saying, you know, 
what words are they what words are they using so that way when i talk with them i meet them where they are i'm at their level you know and then i'm also observing just like a detective does you know i'm kind of scanning looking at what's happening between parent and child what mm -hmm. the child is doing how they go back to the parent if they do you know are they like pausing and thinking and i'll describe out loud i'm like I can really see that you're thinking hard about this question. I really like that you're thinking about this. You're thinking really hard. And I know that you're not jumping, you know, to just answer. You're really thinking about it. I can tell, yeah. you know, so really calling those things out is really sort of sets that stage. And if, and I firmly believe that whenever I meet a family for the first time, I want to set the expectation and acknowledge that child fully that I am there for them. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, hopefully they'll feel much more at ease and more comfortable whenever they come to see me. It does help the fact that I do say, I also am a doctor who does not do shots. So, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. like, oh, okay, good. You know? okay, good. You're not going to give me my flu shot. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great. So um, do you find that, like, what kind of reception from parents do you get when you kind of put the kid in the driver's seat in the, in a, in a conversation like that? Yeah. I, I think um, I've had a, a lot of different reactions. I mean, I think overall they're, they're very excited, you know, to have someone take the time to stop and listen and mm -hmm. really observe, yeah. you know, I mean um, it, you know, again, I, it, it, sometimes I, I have had families come to me and say, you know, I've, I felt like I've not been listened to. I've not been heard. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it can be a hard place for everybody. You know, if, if as a parent, you know your child, you're the expert of your child and you know and witness these challenges, these struggles, nobody likes to have their child feel this way. And it can feel really deflating and, and powerless. And so it's really important that we set the tone not just with the child, but with the parent as well, that this is how it's going to be yeah. whenever you come see me, that everybody is free to talk. Mm -hmm. um, and it's beautiful, especially when I can model this in front of the parents to the child, giving them the space, but then also saying, oh, wow, that's, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, is it okay if I talk with your mom and dad mm -hmm. for a little bit and mm -hmm. get their opinion? Mm -hmm. Because then that way, everybody's opinions are equally important and valid, um, even though they might be different, but they're important to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It must be really validating for both the parents and the kids to, to see somebody making, verbalizing and making the connection between like their behavior and both, both parties' behaviors and responses and mm -hmm. kind of sussing that all out and figuring that out has to be really validating. And I imagine there's a lot of sighs of relief that happen in, yeah. in your office. <laughs> yes, which is great. And, you know, I, I always know um, pretty quickly, I try to try to, you know, get everybody at ease. Um, usually by the time families come to see me, there, there've been uh, a level of stress and anxiety about what's happening. The child may be failing or getting suspended from school multiple times, you know, those types of things. So it's always hard to wait. Um, so I, I want to truly understand the journey that they're yeah. on. Yeah. It sounds like it starts with, um, making sure the child understands that your what you have to say is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, um, 
if we're going to ask them to self-advocate, to raise, you know, kind of talk with and advocate for help or bring up to somebody, uh, a peer, an, a parent, a teacher, um, an employer, you know, um, that they're, they need help. They're, there's something else that they're thinking of that they need clarification. Uh, we want to to show them that they can have positive experiences, that their thoughts and feelings are valid because nobody can read their minds, right? And so we want to start as early as possible to help our kids know that yes, there are people in this world who want to help you, but we wanna also give them the opportunities, as many opportunities to do so, to ask those questions, to share those thoughts and feelings and not get it sort of brushed away. You know, that that's the... That's the really important part of um, starting self-advocacy in children at the get-go is we want them to have those experiences. So that way, if if it doesn't go as well, we can be there to process with them um, and, and help them out. We don't want the first time that our child advocates is like when they're going off to college and they're yeah, like, right. I don't even, I don't yeah. even know what to say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So that makes me think of two of two, um, groups of people that may be listening. I'm, I'm sure there's other groups, but just, just brings to mind two groups, one group where they've got small children and they're like, ooh, yay, here's an opportunity for me to start out early. And then there's the other group of the kids like, oh my gosh, my child is a senior in high school and is going off to college next year. <laughs> and I'm realizing that this is a skill that maybe we need to work on a little mm -hmm. bit. So, um, mm -hmm. so maybe we could talk a little bit about about those kind of two ends of the spectrum. Like how can we start, how early on can we start supporting our kids' development of their self-advocacy? And then what can we do if it's if it if if maybe they haven't had a lot of opportunities to advocate for themselves and they're going to be heading off into the world and yes. to learn. Yes. So on one end, I would say you can start as early as possible by just acknowledging and having those conversations at the dinner table, right? Mm. Because self-advocacy means that these children have to have an awareness of what they're thinking and feeling and then have the modality and the um, they they have to feel safe enough to be like, hey, I don't like how this is feeling or I don't I don't understand what you said. I, I think you I might need you to repeat that again. you know like so it comes with that awareness and that self-reflection piece. And so again, when you're you have a young child, uh, one of the things that I like to promote is using um, like flashcards or flip charts of fit, funny faces um, and because we just want kids to start talking. We don't want to be super serious all the time, right? Yeah. So um, if, you know, even if parents like have a word of the week, right? A emotion of the week and you can act it out in charades or like when you're watching TV or a movie or reading about it and you're like, oh, that's, mm. that's that word, you know? And you're like, oh yeah, have you felt that way ever? You know, mm -hmm. and just start those conversations, right? When was the last time you felt this way? You know, what did you say? Or what could you have said, you know, like, and just sort of playing along with it, you know, using everyday moments to promote that emotion literacy, but then also showing them that it's okay to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. This is what you need. Mm -hmm. How am I, how can I help you if I don't know clearly what it is you're thinking and feeling? All emotions are okay, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that, that I was thinking of, and I, I, I don't want to, I want to make sure I get us back on our- yes 
train tracks there, but um, something that I was thinking of and what you just said um, confirmed that is I feel like when kids maybe have ADHD or some other kind of diagnosis or just a kind of the kind of personality where um, where they might end up feeling a bit of like a burden, like they're they maybe they're feeling like, oh, I'm always, always getting in trouble or I'm always needing something different. And so learning to advocate despite those feelings um, and being brave enough to ask for help when you know you've already had to ask for help a lot or you already get extra attention or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm just, just thinking about that. Yeah. And it's, it's such a common scenario that I see. And it's especially in those kids who also, you know, may be anxious, may, may actually have a secondary diagnosis yeah. of anxiety where they're have maybe social anxiety or, you know, they're, they're not really wanting to put themselves out there. But, you know, I think part of that is calling that feeling out mm-hmm. and saying, you know, you know, the, um, being brave doesn't mean that you're not you know, nervous or scared mm-hmm. before you, you do this thing, you know, it, it just means doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, because at the end, if you don't speak up for yourself, you know, and I'm not going to always be there, you know, how are you going to get where you need to get without assistance and, mm-hmm. and really modeling that too. I mean, um, there are some adults that I've met that have said, you know, it's so hard for me to, to ask for help. Oh, yeah. I think, I think, since COVID, I think mm. a lot of that has sort of eased a lot because we recognize that we yeah. truly can't do things by yes. ourselves, you know, with social distancing <laughs> and all that, like we've all felt the ramifications of COVID. And so I think that's one of the silver linings that came out of it is that, you know, mental health has become something that we talk about more. Uh, it's not as taboo. So mm-hmm. I think people have learned the value of asking for help. But again, parents, you can model this. You can model how you've had to advocate for yourself. Share those stories around the dinner table. You know, your kids are listening. They're sponges. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you don't have to go into the nitty gritty, but like you can give them the idea of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without turning it into some kind of like life lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I think that those are some simple ways, like as early as, you know, as, you know, toddlers, preschoolers, like I, you know, right behind me, I don't know if you can see that yellow flip chart, Mm -hmm. but that's like a flip chart and it has those funny faces on it. Um, But, but we talk a lot about emotional literacy and not, Mm. and really sort of helping families talk about it. Yeah. Um, on the other end of the spectrum where you might like, I have a, a, a junior in high school and, you know, we're thinking, gosh, only yeah. in a year and a half. Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's coming up. Um, so we've got to work on all these things. Um, and I would say if you're feeling that way and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I've really been working on this. I bet you have. It mm. just like, it's been in those everyday moments, but, but now, you know, it's never too late you can always continue to be a little bit more intentional with those Mm. conversations. Um, You know, if your child is missing assignments in power school or whatever your school uses, and you're looking at that, like step back and say, okay, so what do you, how do you, what is your plan here for addressing this? What are some ways in which you can um, talk with your teacher about either the content that you didn't understand, or you just forgot, you didn't check this, like, what are what are some of those things that you can start doing? And just having a conversation without getting upset, 
and sort of like noticing. That's why I love the detective analogy mm, so much. Yeah. Cause like, you can just say like, I have been noticing that this is happening. What's happening there? Mm-hmm. What, where's the, what's the barrier here for you? And what are some ways you think you can help yourself, you know? Yeah, because a detective isn't going to enter or shouldn't enter a situation with any kind of judgment. They mm-hmm. should be going in as objectively as possible. So yep. it can be hard as parents to do that because <laughs> yes. you are absolutely not objective. You are in it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it can be. But yes, it's important it's... to try anyway. Absolutely. And, and just be curious about it. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I think that's the thing. It can be hard when you're like, oh my gosh, like 10 missing assignments, like what? Right. You know? right. yeah. But like, that's where the check is like to for yourself, like identify that feeling for you. And if you're going in hot, like, do not do that. Like, no. like, like <laughs> take time. some time for yourself to <laughs> yeah. like sort of decompress and be like, okay, gosh, I need to talk to him about this, but I, I got to do this when I'm in a better space. Cause, yeah. Cause the the worst thing that can happen is you come in hot and then it just, you know, explodes. Yes. And we don't want that. No. (laughs) I mean, the reason why we feel that way is because we're like, oh my goodness, like we don't want our child to not be succeeding or thriving. So we want to be there with them to sort of help brainstorm with them how to help without telling them what to do because and that's a th- and that's another thing especially for teenagers <laughs> yeah. we cannot tell them what to do anybody is much more willing to do something for themselves if we can help them identify for themselves mm-hmm. what the logical next step yeah should be yeah so that makes me think about you know like if you have a child you know that has you know, like um, extra needs at school or maybe at a job if they work, you know, after school or on the weekends. And and you, as their parent, have likely been advocating for them, um, you know, for accommodations at school uh, since they were little, if they got their diagnosis when they were little. And so what recommendations do you have for parents to kind of bridge that gap between that time where you really truly did have to advocate for them to um, kind of backing off and and letting them uh, take the wheel uh, a little bit more, Um, especially because it's like, we don't want our kids to fail, especially if they have already, you know, like, like we were talking about before, like kids who might already feel like a burden are already feel down about themselves. Like we, absolutely don't want them to fail. And at the same time, they kind of need to sometimes so they can learn how to, you know, get back up again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Or to minimize the chance of falling by asking for what they need. Yeah. A couple things. I mean, I think um, I've heard this a lot and and, uh, this might be the same for many listeners right now is that the progression from elementary, the transition from elementary to middle, middle to high school, high school to college, there's less and less communication, direct communication naturally. So a lot of parents are like, oh my gosh, like, like all of a sudden, like though that two-way communication they had with their child's elementary school, all of a sudden feels like, I have no idea what's happening. Like, why is why aren't they like reaching out to tell me anything? Like, I think that is kind of a natural progression just because first of all, there's many more students, yeah, but secondly, right. it, it's just like, it it's built in to, to allow the child to have more autonomy, you yeah. know, as you go on in that life stage, it can be really scary for a lot of parents, especially those who have children with ADHD or, you know, uh, complex um, needs. Um, and so, so there, we have to acknowledge that. But two is, you know, um, my hope is that 
many of the schools are inviting not just the parent to the meeting, but the, the student there, yeah, yeah. you know, because again, that's helping model to them that their voice is important, their opinion is important. And even though they might be sitting there like, um, they're like, how do you, and they're like, uh, I don't know, you know, yeah. like, but, but, but like, that is like, at least the exposure to what an IEP or a 504 meeting is. And so yeah. you can debrief about it. Hopefully you can prep about it first, but, but, you know, like, um, having those conversations, like what to expect, like, gosh, you know, you are going to be invited to this. I really hope that, you know, you, can make it, these are some of the things to expect. Because I think, again, just with anything, that's why at the beginning of this conversation, I feel that equipping the children with the knowledge is first and foremost, the most important thing to give them that foundation to stand on for self-advocacy. Because mm -hmm. if they're just like, I, I have no idea what's happening, like they're just going to sit there. They're yeah, not going to know right. how to interject or how to like when it's appropriate to raise their hand or say something. So, and it can be nerve wracking for them. And so as much as possible, exposures early to these types of situations, communication about it, prepping them, like it might be helpful to have like, think about like, how things went the last year of school, what worked for you and what didn't work and being honest about that. Cause nobody's here to get mad at you or like, say, you know, you're, you're not doing what you need to do. And I know it can might, might feel that way. Cause you're in a, a room with like X number of adults, including right. me there. Right? <laughs> right. But, but like helping them understand, like, we are all here to help you make sure that school is going well and that yeah. you have the supports and the, the resources you need as a student to do what you need to do. Um, and it means also being honest about what's working and what's not like yeah. we can guess we have data looking at grades and like percentage of things that get turned in and all that, but we're all interested in hearing about like what works for you. Yeah. 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 So that makes me think that, that it's really, really important for kids to fully understand their own diagnosis and, and exactly what, how it impacts them or how it could, even could impact them. Uh, and so I think you do, you teach kids about, I mean, we're talking a little bit more specifically about ADHD because you teach kids about ADHD, right? So they can really fully understand it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes. That's what the Teach Me ADHD course is all about. I think um, it's really perfect and it was really designed because pediatricians, you know, they make the diagnosis. Um, some of the man, some of the pediatricians out in the community do manage medication, but it's not just about those two things. You know, yeah. ADHD is much more, a, it's a chronic condition, first of all. And um, I firmly believe that when we see kids, you know, because it's a chronic condition, we are, we're seeing kids at least four times a year, if not more. Uh, we want them to feel comfortable. We want them to understand what's happening. We don't want them to feel dread every time they have to get pulled out to see the doctor or the therapist or, you know, get more testing done. Cause then they're, they're starting to think like, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. You know, like, yeah. why do I have to do this? And nobody else has to. So this, this class was really born out of seeing that for filling the need of educating families. So that way we level the playing field and really start the journey of, um, ADHD chronic care management with the child and parent in the center, right? Mm -hmm. So it is a class that's eight weeks long that is taken together, kids and parents together, kids eight to 12 with a diagnosis of ADHD. 
that we walk them through a series of training mission meetings because we all become detectives and learning the, the clues and learning the facts of how our brains work. But yet seeing, because you take it in a class with other kids and other families, you get to see how other kids relate to you, how mm. they might be a little different, but like there are going to be commonalities mm -hmm. and it just helps kids understand that they're not alone. You know, um, I have, before this even existed, I kept thinking to myself, I'm watching, I'm observing, I'm the detective watching what's happening in the room after we make a diagnosis. And so those kids sometimes are like, what's that? You know, like, yeah. or yeah. they may feel something's wrong with them. And I, I really wanted an ability to bridge the gap um, and help families start at this level and not like this level, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. so much of the discussion is with the parent, but I'm here to, to kind of disrupt that and be like, okay, this is the whole family. It affects yeah. the whole family. We need to, to really help the whole family right. understand a language have a common set of tool, you know, tools mm -hmm. and strategies. Mm -hmm. So that way they can continue to connect, collaborate and communicate together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I'm just thinking about what you were just describing made me think about clients that I've met with where I've talked with them about their brain, their ADHD brain and, and what's actually going on in their brain and mm -hmm. why they um, might act, you know, or feel the way they do, act the way they do. And, and some of these clients have been adults or older teenagers and they um, say, I, I never knew that. Nobody ever told me this. Yeah. And so, so I, I, I can see you can advocate yourself. Well, I kind of, I know that I need this or I know that I need that, but I feel like to truly advocate for yourself and to truly find what works for you, it really probably helps to, you know, learn like you're teaching or, you know, like I get a, the opportunity to, as a coach, help people understand like, what is ADHD? Like, teach me ADHD. Yes, what is yes, it? Yes. Yes. And, you know, so unfortunately, so many things that um, ADHD can come out in lots of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. some of the the feedback that kids get, why can't you do this? Why can't you sit still? Why are you always forgetting your homework? Why can't mm -hmm. you remember to turn it in on time? You know, like mm -hmm. that sort of feedback from the environment. It, it It's no wonder that these kids start feeling deflated, defeated, like having these negative perceptions, like, oh, I, I hate ADHD. Like, I wish I didn't have it, you know? Because there's this negative, you know, backstory that they're constantly hearing, and my course is meant to challenge that narrative to help them really understand that you know we can't give you a brain transplant. You know, yeah. ADHD is from your brain. <laughs> yeah, and and if and because if we were to try to transplant that brain, like you would not be you. Yeah, and we do not want to change that. We want you to begin to understand how your brain is working. And not that it's good or bad, it just is. But yeah. like, how can we start taking the new information that we have about ADHD and ourselves and really learning to know what it is we need and what it is we feel and how can we communicate that to the team? Yeah. Either yeah. our parents, our doctor, our teachers, our therapists, our tutors, whoever's on our team, like, how do we do that? And so that's what the the series of training mission meetings is meant to 
to do and inspire. And because kids and parents do it together, they are, you know, learning together. They're Mm -hmm. hearing the same things. They can watch the video supplement later if they want to go back or they missed a class, but then they're assigned like these family missions to complete in between, um, meetings. And then they send in pictures of evidence. And these are really meant to do a couple things. One is to help reinforce the skills that we talked about, help put into practice so that kids and parents are talking together, working together on this new skill. Because when we do a new skill or a deed, which is why it's called the All Deeds Help Detective Agency, we're learning new deeds. We're working with intention to build our mental muscles, to learn how ADHD affects us, but what we can do about it, Mm -hmm. but it comes with practice. And so the family mission is really meant to, to be that opportunity to practice these skills and then pictures of evidence to headquarters for feedback Mm -hmm. and just to keep, you know, looking and and learning and understanding how this works in, in our family for us. You know, I love that. I, I I coach similarly. I mean, I mostly work with college and adults, but I I coach. I talk a lot about evidence. Like, let's yes. look for evidence, and evidence is so helpful. It's it's uh it's kind of the answer, the key to the answer. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But our brain can get so stuck on mm. the one the the negative yeah, yeah. things that happen that we can't see beyond mm-hmm. that, and so it helps to have uh you know someone like you a coach to sort of step back and be like, hey. Yeah. Wait a second. Let's think about that there, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and challenge that story so we can rewrite a more positive one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't have ADHD and you just say you, you are just a, per, just a, you're just a person without any kind of diagnosis, <laughs> it's still so, it it's so important to know yourself and to understand yourself and to ask questions about yourself so that when you have to advocate for yourself, however that is for whatever need, just because even if you don't have a diagnosis, you're going to have to advocate for yourself at some point in your life. (laughs) So really understanding who you are and how you think and how your brain works and, and why you do the things you do. Um, yeah. That's why yeah. everybody should be in therapy. <laughs> yes. Well, in an inter- interpersonal relationships, right? I mean, yeah, it's called compromise, right? Because right? yeah. ev- everybody doesn't think the same way. Yeah. So, um, you know, how can you communicate that to your partner, your loved one mm-hmm. uh, with, while respecting their opinion, but then mm-hmm. also kind of advocating for what it is you, yeah, need, you need, right? Yeah. That's compromise. Yeah. That's learning how to yeah. take somebody else's perspective and, and, keep that in mind while you're advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be, it can take a long time. Cause I can think of lots of times where I've been in a conversation where I'm like, and like, I actually don't know what I need. I just know that, that this I, is I need, not, this right. is not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to necessarily know right away, but if you never ask the question, then you'll certainly never know. So, yeah. 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 And and you bring up a really good point, Hannah. I mean, I think, um, you know, even if you're not sure what it is you need, if you can recognize the fact that the feeling or the the way it feels is just something's not right about mm-hmm. it, something's missing, mm-hmm. that's important too. And again, that's why being a detective, getting the clues, like figuring this out, like, oh gosh, this is a, I don't know, like, what would I be asking for? I'm not sure, but um, I just know I need to give voice to this Yeah, and somebody yeah. else can help figure yeah. out like what it is. Yeah. And I, that really goes back to teaching kids to 
to pay attention to how they feel. And so if they get like a weird feeling about something or just any kind of uncomfortable feeling to, to, um, to feel comfortable to know that they have someone in their life that they can speak up to and say, or speak to and say, like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I know that this, this feels weird or, or this feels good. I'm, I'm comfortable with this situation or whatever. Yeah. And just learning to pay attention to those feelings. Like you said, that emotional literacy in the beginning, like how to pay attention to them and name them. And I will say, you know, just kind of to piggyback off of that point, especially for those listening who have like toddlers or preschoolers who these kids, rather than talking, are showing you with their yes. bodies <laughs> and having tantrums or being really irritable like that does happen. It's just because they just don't have the skills, the the words to put there. So our job is even harder, but it's doable, like to be the detective, like to kind of be like, okay, what's going on here? Run through the list. Like, are they hungry? Are they tired? Have they been, you know, like- <laughs> do that quick list in your head in like 10 seconds, but then also like voicing it for them yeah. in the moment, yeah. labeling that feeling, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes they're like, yeah. And then you're like, you're frustrated. And you're like, like oh, yeah, you know, like it, it sort of breaks the ice for them because they're like, that's the word, that's you know, the word. or they, or they yeah. might not be, or they might be like, no, no, no. And, and you're like, okay, well, okay. So let's go to our chart. You know, like, what yeah. is it? Point yeah. to the picture, you know? So yeah. uh, you just got to meet your child where they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of when I interviewed um, Dr. Allison Roy to talk about, um, about, parenting and, and stress. And uh, she was talking about her child was throwing a tantrum once about um, wanting a red popsicle, um, but there weren't any more red popsicles. And, um, and so, she, you know, in her mind, she was like, what, why is this a problem? <laughs> but she just like said out loud, you really want a red popsicle. And, yes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yep. sometimes we might not understand where they're coming from, but validating it and uh, giving them the words to, to, to say what they need. Yes. So and, and I can tell you the next time they are listening. So the next time, hopefully they will remember yeah. those words, especially if you do it in the moment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so uh, when is going back to the idea of kids not feeling confident about themselves or maybe feeling like a burden, how do you help kids see maybe the positive aspects of a diagnosis like ADHD, or at least see how they um, can, I don't know, just kind of see it in a more positive light. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I like to do whenever I see clients in my private practice, I have a little check-in sheet and they have to get their height, weight, and then also put like how they're feeling today. But I do ask them to think about like, and be ready to tell me what's one thing that they're proud of that mm. they've achieved since I last saw them. Um, because, you know, I want to point out the strengths. I want to point out those opportunities where they have done something well. I mean, too many times kids with ADHD, individuals with ADHD, they sort of, you know, are hearing those negative stories or that getting the negative feedback. And we want to start changing that narrative. We want to start saying, you know, like, what is something that you're really proud of that you've worked on? How did you do that? You know, or even if, gosh, you had a really big meltdown, but you calmed down. How did you do that? You know, um, that is an important skill that we call metacognition that we want to help foster in our children, like the thinking of the thinking. You know? yes. <laughs> and so if we don't have opportunities to point those out, invite them to share those stories and then really be thinking and pointing those out like, wow, that was that must have been really hard for you. I'm just curious, like, how did you do that? 
was there another time that you had to do something like that? You know, like, and helping connect the dots because people with ADHD, we're kind of constantly like onto the next thing, or we fixate on the negative story. We spiral and we stay there, but it's our job to point out the positives, what they did well, build on those. If they did do something that they're not really proud of, or like they keep kind of replaying in their head, like helping them kind of think through, okay, well, you know, let's talk about that a little bit more. What could you have done? Can you think of another time when you were kind of in a similar station? What did you do then? Kind of help them see that this is growth, you know, because they're all going to be, there's going to be times when things don't go our way. There's, that's just life. But how can we reframe that for ourselves that we don't get stuck in that, that broken record kind of loop? Because that's not helping anybody, you know, it's making us feel bad. It's feeling, and it's making us feel short with everybody. Then we're getting angry at our parents. We're not doing what we need to be doing. So we have to first point that out, validate that and be like, gosh, that was really hard. And I know that you don't want to feel that way. So let's kind of talk about that, you know? Um, And for some of those kids who have social anxiety or like, they're just like, I don't know, I don't want to go out of the room. I don't want to feel different from like, like, what is it? What is it? So we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because sometimes those kids just need to, to have a game plan. Like they need to kind of know what to expect they need. And this is goes back to like, like showing them, giving those exposures, giving them the facts, like kids when it's like this big unknown and they don't really know and they don't feel like nobody's hearing them or seeing them like it can feel really hopeless and helpless but it just takes sitting down talking through it you might be surprised pleasantly surprised like what they're they're thinking about when it comes to that but I want to caution too for parents especially when your kid says something like I'm just so stupid like I don't know why you know and of course as a parent you're not stupid. Why, why would you say that? You know, like, but, but we want to like, sort of just take that in, acknowledge that that is, that is something that they're feeling. Yeah. Right. And, and that's how they're expressing it. Yes. Yeah. And, and help them kind of identify, like, is that really true? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, because we want to help them empower, empower themselves to have a better self-image. It, it can, it, it'll take work. You know, yeah. sometimes we default yeah. to the negative, but but I think the evidence, you know, I sometimes have parents take pictures or hang up pictures or things, notes of positivity that their child mm. does. So that mm. way it can be a research. Like, yeah. hey, look at over there. Mm. Look at that. You remember yeah. last week? Because we sometimes are just moving so fast, like we just forget. But we mm. need to kind of uncover those moments, those wins, those gifts, and really anchor it for them yeah. so that they can be like, Oh yeah, I I did that. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, I mean, obviously when something negative happens, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you can't not feel that. I mean, you're going to feel yeah. it, but, oh, yeah. but we also want to help our kids know that, you know, they can pick themselves up, mm-hmm. but they can't do it alone. And mm-hmm. again, that's where that self-advocacy piece comes in. Yeah. Like sometimes we have different styles of processing too. And if we're like, oh, what's happening? What's happening? And they're they're just like not ready, but you're not, you know, gosh, you you look like you've had a really hard day. I'm I'm here whenever you, you're mm-hmm. ready to talk mm-hmm. about it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, just because we want our children to know that we're there for them, mm-hmm. but, but we also want to give them the space to be able to process. Some kids are fi- like, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, 
what happened? You know, then they'll like want to talk to you about it right away. And some kids don't. So it's just sort of recognizing that as well, but giving mm-hmm. them the space to to sort of process what they're going through, their emotions, and, you know, um, not taking it personally, you know, yeah. as a parent, mm-hmm. um, and just helping them see that you're always going to be there for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of see the self-advocacy as like these two in my mind, I'm seeing it as like two things. There's one identifying what you're feeling and what you're needing. And then the actual asking of the asking for the accommodation or for the help or whatever it is. So how do you support, how do you support kids learning how to, to, to actually, okay, now I figured out what I need. Um, Uh How do I, how do I now ask for it? What are some, I mean, Mm -hmm. I have some ideas, but what do you you (laughs) do? (laughs) Well, you know, in our class, we talk a lot about these different pillars um, of things um, that we need in our care plan. So we talk about um, medication. uh, We talk about, and that's not until, session six of eight, you know, Mm, mm because we try to teach some of the other strategies Mm, too, mm -hmm. Um, because pills don't teach skills. It's one piece of the puzzle, but behavioral therapy, parenting support, school accommodations, and self-care, like what can you be doing right now to help your brain work at, you know, uh, when, what it, give your brain what it needs to work at its best sleep, nutrition, physical activity, screen time moderation, those kinds of skills too. So we're, we're talking about all of these things, but, you know, um, you're right. It's, it's not just helping them understand like, this is what I need now. What? So giving them that experience, you know, um, I want you to chat with your teacher about this, or would you like to start the conversation with your teacher or should I do it? You know, Mm -hmm. like, especially if they're younger. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and talking to them about, um, let's, let's collect some data. Okay, so we know that time management is not your thing. So let's try, you know, a daily planner. Let's do that for a week or two and then circle back around. Let's see how that's going. You know, so, um, you know, building in those experiences where they can practice in little steps, like all deeds help. That's why we talk about these are deeds. These are mental uh, intentions or strategies that we're doing little by little to make it a habit. So it takes a lot of practice. Um, and it can feel really uncomfortable at first, but then debriefing, like, how did that go? You know, what do you think you could have done differently? How was the teacher? Were they receptive? What were the words that you used? Would it be helpful if next time, like you try it out this way, you want to mm-hmm. practice, like pretend I'm your teacher, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. um, it can look a lot of different ways, but um, again, just having that conversation and, and opportunities to role play, to practice, think through different things. Cause again, think if kids have some sort of, at least a roadmap of where to go, it helps them feel much more self-assured to at least try. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, so if people are interested in learning about more about your, um, teach me ADHD program or just the support that you offer, where can they find you? Yes. Thanks for asking. So my website is letstalkkidshealth.org. Currently, I personally offer it twice a year in January and September. Each class runs eight weeks long. Um, But pretty soon, I'm going to be having two additional pediatricians uh, offer this class, uh, which I'm really excited about. Congratulations. Yes. So we're in the 
kind of planning stages for them um, to also offer it. Um, That's really cool. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and uh, clearly there's a need. And sometimes, you know, my time zone is not uh, conducive yeah. to somebody else's. So I'm really excited to have just other uh, physicians who feel strongly about this program really and cool. want to offer it as well. So that's yeah. great. Exciting. Cool. <laughs> and is there anything else you wanted to add before we go? No, I, I, I want to thank you, Hannah, for having this topic um, and, you know, just helping families understand that um, wherever you are in the journey, it's never too late, yeah, you know, um, yeah. and you are much more of a teacher to your children than you think you are. Cause they're <laughs> always constantly like looking to you for, yeah. you know, as parents, um, how to approach a situation. So, um, just give yourself some grace. If you haven't been practicing self-advocacy, it's okay. You can start tonight at the dinner table, That's right? right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you, uh, have a young one, you can be doing that and commenting and using flip charts and asking <laughs> questions, being curious. So, um, yeah. but kids will value that attention from you, no matter what age mm, they are having yeah. that check-in. So, you know, kids, little kids, you'll be playing on the floor, you know, playing lots of little things like that. And as they get older, you're going to have check-ins still. They want to know that you are interested in what they're doing in their lives. So it always starts with connection and it's never too late for that. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. Whether you started practicing these skills with your kiddos a while ago, or they're just about to start learning some self-advocacy skills, I hope our conversation today brought you some ideas, some validation, or just anything else you might have needed. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can reach out to me at podcast at beyondbooksmart.com. Please subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And on Apple and Spotify, you can give us a rating, hopefully five stars. And if it's not five stars, let me know why. Sign up for our subscriber email at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. Our very busy producer and editor who always makes time for me is Sean Potts. And our cool, calm, collected, and so creative content marketer is Justice Abbott. Very special thanks to Dr. Narissa Bauer for joining me and to Wendy Craven for connecting me with her. And of course, to my amazing kids who show me every day that it's all worth it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>